and you're listening to A Little Too Quiet. It's the Ferndale Library Podcast, brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. My name is Jeff Milo, and joining me on the program today is Tim Paré. Tim is the founding artistic director of new nonprofit here in town, Michigan Stage, and he has been doing some amazing things to connect the community to the magic of theater. We are going to be talking about, yes, the magic of experiencing theater, but we're going to be talking about how theater is not confined to a stage with accent lights and red curtains. It can, well, we're going to be talking about how theater can be conceived in a community space, maybe even in a parking structure. We're going to be talking about all the great things that Tim Pire has been doing with Michigan Stage, as well as his life in the arts and how he has been inspired from an early age to tap into that special sort of exhilaration that we get when we encounter art of any kind, whether it is live theater or live music or some stunning mural. Rather than go the route of trying to be an actor on Broadway or even Hollywood, Tim's used his theater degree from Michigan State to go into youth development and mentorship as well as the nonprofit realm and exploring ways that we can connect the community through cultural events. And we're going to be talking about some of Michigan Stage's earliest efforts, including the recent Broadway in the Burbs here in Ferndale. Tim is a writer, director, and he has actually spent most of the last decade, if not more, in New York. And we're going to be talking about that and his experience over there. But then we're going to get into this origin story of Michigan Stage and how he had the vision for it, moved back from New York very recently, and got this nonprofit going. There's more info at michiganstage.org. And of course, we'll have more links in the show notes. But here's our chat with Tim Paré from Michigan Stage. And I think, Tim, if I want to start anywhere, it's your love of all things art. Uh, I know that developed at a young age, whether it was not even just, I think it's music at first and then it gets into theater, but just tell me about what started you on the path to where you are now. Oh gosh. And and why, I mean, because as as I read about you, um, art and culture and music and everything seem to like affect you much more powerfully than anyone around you (laughs) that would come across, right? I yeah I think so I've never thought of it in those terms but I think now if I were to look back on all of the formative moments Mm -hmm. that would be exactly it that there was something chemically happening between that exchange or or in response to that exchange Um, but as far as I can recall I was always a very internal kid Um, you know you can my parents will share every anecdote that I I was reading really early Um, I was very self sufficient. I'm from a big family. So when I, it was easy for them to say, Oh, well, Tim's off in the corner with a book. That's great. He'll be fine over there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then as I got older, that morphed into he's over there with his disc man listening to music. I'm aging myself, but that was me with my cast recordings. Yeah. (laughs) Listening to my cast recordings and reading through all the lyrics to each of the musicals. Um, But really, I think there's no tipping point that just like pushed me into this realm. If I had to list a few memories that jump out, my grandmother was very passionate about taking me to see live theater, um, probably because she knew I had such a visceral reaction to it. Um, At the time, I think I was just enthusiastic to do anything fun that was out of the ordinary. Um, So I remember she took me to um, see Peter Pan. My uncle was a high school theater teacher, and she took me to see Peter Pan. And... Um, that was the moment that I think everything really 
really, really solidified in terms of this is a world I need to know more about. Oh, yeah. I saw people flying, people singing, people dancing. And when you think about the the, the popular lyric, it, a, a place where dreams are made um, in Never Never Land, I think that that really set it on this like imaginary pedestal. And I thought, whatever I can do to climb to get up there, that's where I need to be. Yeah, it's hard, um, it's hard to not. It's hard not to watch Peter Pan and be uh, <laughs> sparked in any kind of way. It's one of the perfect plays for formative, inspirational things. So. For sure, yeah. for sure. And I actually, I got to be in P- Peter Pan when I was in high school. I was a freshman in high school and I was a pirate, um, which was <laughs> really fun, full circle. And my grandma got to see it. And I think that was a very fun journey. Um, but I also grew up in a very, very theatrical family, which I share um, with as many disclaimers as possible. No one in my family participates in theater, but we were always very dramatic. There was a lot of dramatic storytelling, we were a family that sat around a table every night for dinner and there was a lot of storytelling there. Um, and then beyond that, my dad was in a band, which I potentially took for granted growing up. But as I got older, have seen the beauty of all the ways that's worked into our um, our relationships and inner family uh, communication styles and things. So we're very musical. I think we never shy away from being expressive and from sharing that love with everybody else. Being inside of that theatrical household, having, you know, your father in a band, did do you remember growing up, being a teenager, perhaps going to college and being able to witness just how powerful it is when a, a, not just your family, but a group of people can experience theater or music just in general, yeah. like that whole exchange? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, again, it was one of those instances of too close to home. I, I probably... I, I don't think took it for granted is the right saying, but I definitely was unaware of it. And then when I when I moved into venues where it wasn't the norm, I started to see how lucky I was. Um, but I was very fortunate that there's the, a great um, magnet program called the Warren Consolidated School of Performing Arts. Mm-hmm. And so growing up, when I... I mean, you know, I did every school play. I, I wrote uh, theater for my siblings to perform in our basement. And so I was always aware of how magic it could be to get a group of people together and experience live theater. But when I got to eighth grade and auditioned for the Warren Consolidated School, back then it had a different name, but when I auditioned and that performing on that stage for the first time for a wide audience, I think that's when I really saw a community assemble um, because then it was no longer just my siblings and I, it was a team of us on stage and backstage and the teachers and everybody in the rehearsal process. But now we've got this element of an audience and it was a big audience, probably, you know, a couple hundred parents and friends and family. Wow. And that's when I started to see, wow, there's, there's something really magical here. And I, I hope I've been surfing that wave for my professional career now. <laughs> well, let's talk about your professional career and how you wind up in, in, I guess an educational uh, sort of way. I want. Yep. I want to take me to, I guess, how you get to uh, Barrington Stage Company when you leave Michigan. But you're leaving my alma mater, Michigan State, as well, and you're you're majoring in theater, I believe. But you know, yep. you rather than saying I'm going to necessarily go off and be strictly an actor and get headshots, you go off into education. Can you talk about that. Yeah. So I think what is very unique about me, and I, I know that you and I share this, but we're, we're very introspective people. And so I think at any time, I'm always looking at scenarios, I'm looking at 
different settings and different environments and thinking about more of the nuance that, that, that takes place there. So when I approached undergrad and was looking at different theater programs, what was very important to me was that I didn't want to just perform. I wanted to be able to study the history. I wanted to be able to study um, the producing aspect, the administrative aspects of it. I wanted to know where the funding came from. And so once I started to open up those doors, it led me to this world of arts administration. And so thankfully, in undergrad, I was still, um, I guess that, this is not a great way to say it, but I was still young enough, I think, to discover that, right. that career path. Um, and now, I mean, so many universities have even, they've, they've announced themselves as like arts administration specific, um, which I think is so wonderful for, for younger budding arts admin mm -hmm. folks. Mm -hmm. But for me, that wasn't a big thing back then. And so I was able to reach out to my professors, my advisors who were wonderfully supportive. And they basically took on every crazy idea that I had. And I worked with some friends in undergrad to start producing smaller shows on our own. Um, but as I started to see those facets of theater, I, I started to ask what else is there. Mm -hmm. And I, um, I remember the tipping point when I, I moved into education full time and I sort of put all performing behind me and said, when it comes, it's great. I'm happy and grateful for it. But this is more fun for me, more fulfilling. And I was working at a summer camp upstate New York called Stage Door Manor, um, which is quite famous, actually. There's a documentary on it and, and a fictional movie called Camp that's based on and set at and written by a former camper um, all at this place. But being able to work on and it was something unbelievable, 39 shows in one summer. I think they do. They produce 39. Yeah crazy oh every three weeks it was like 13 new productions i mean granted tons of people involved not just me i only worked on three that season but um that was the first time that i said wow working on theater with youth is so much more so much more fulfilling to me than performing and working with adults and so i had always had a career objective of becoming artistic director, but I say that I got sort of sidetracked and I got stuck in that world of arts education. And so I, I lingered there a bit longer than I anticipated, which is how I led, uh, what led me to my first post at Lake Dillon Theater as their director of education. And that was unique because they had never had anyone in the role. So I was able to actually pioneer the position and help them build a foundation for their ed programs and community outreach. And that was really, for me anyway, that was when I started to see that entire industry of community programming and community arts um, really take shape. And then that, I think, opened up the doors, led me to Barrington and, of course, to all the other wonderful posts that I've had and really... I think inspired me to to take a leap of faith and and put all of my all of my dreams into uh, reality, which yeah. is now where we are here back in Michigan with Michigan Stage. Yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, you, you mentioned it. We I can't avoid that segue. Uh, let's yeah. let's lead into <laughs> to Michigan Stage and what it does, and and just uh, uh, not that I have much of a question or say or much to add to this, sure. but I'm just going to keep you talking and tell folks uh, <laughs> tell folks about this. Uh, we can get to what you've been up to lately later, but tell us about I yeah. guess the origins first of Michigan Stage. Yeah, yeah. It's a really fun story. I love telling it because it, um, it, it, again, showcases my family. Always comes back to family, right? Our roots. I love that. Um, but I was in New York and it was in probably three months into pandemic lockdown and I was living in my tiny Brooklyn apartment and I was really 
feeling very stifled with the city and just feeling like I missed my family and I wanted to be closer to them and I wanted more space. I wanted a backyard and I wanted a home to invest in. And so I remember it all kind of like came into focus at the exact same moment. And I called my mom and said, this is it. I think I'm going to leave New York. I'm going to move back home and I'm going to found an organization so I can bring all the great work that I've been doing and sharing with my friends and family via Zoom and phone calls and emails. But I want to I want to share it with them for real. And my mom actually said, that's a lot for me to wrap my brain around, which was such a funny mom response. But um, also a little bold, she, a little bold. Yes. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And so uh, she called me the next day, of course, and we talked through it and, and we had a, a great time planning. And she said, well, how are you going to make it happen? And I said, I don't know, but I, I it's going to happen. And so I moved home and I spent about six months um, for the first three of those. I was staying at my brother's house uh, in his guest room while I looked for my home here in Ferndale. And I was just um, doing as much outreach as possible. I was uh, trying to incubate the ideas that I knew I had, but I didn't want to create it in a silo and then say, here are these community arts programs, participate. Instead, I wanted to communicate and have a dialogue with the community and say, what what arts do you need and how can I bridge that gap if I can? Um, but at its heart, I think it always was what inspired me to move away is that I didn't have a ton of opportunity here growing up. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a, a lot of great theater post high school outside of the great high school that I went to. And I think a lot of that has changed but I think for me, I was always thinking, had there been something, I maybe wouldn't have had to move away. Mm -hmm. I would have been able to stay here and, and pursue this professionally. And so in coming back now and laying the groundwork for what I hope will become an institution that lives on sustainably for years and allows local artists to stick around and get involved, not only in the community aspect and our education programs, but professionally on stage, off stage, in our offices, um, and it's still very new. We're, we're only about, I, I think I just hit my one month, or excuse me, my one year mark after founding the LLC and applying for my 501c3 status. Mm -hmm. It's been one year. Um, so yeah, lots, lots still happening, but that was the origin. And then um, I came back and met some really great people such as yourself and some other wonderful community members who have been very supportive and they've really guided the process as to what programs we need, what events we need, where there are gaps in programming in other places. And that um, has been very fortuitous because I've been able to say, okay, well, I can help there. Or if I can't, let's maybe find someone who can and see if we yeah. can bring them into this fold too. Yeah. Because that's, that's so great too, is being able to invite others into this world. I think that's something that, that's one of the reasons I love nonprofit work so much. Right. Um, yeah. Well, you know, something, and I think we should just take one minute to talk about Ferndale in general. And, you know, I'm born and raised in this city and obviously travel all, all around Southeast Michigan often, whether I'm running errands or, you know, finding places to hike or whatever, I'm whatever kind of adventure I might be on. And uh, often I'll take these trips with my father and we'll go through some towns and I won't name which ones. And uh, I will give um, somewhat uh, shrewd appraisals and say that uh, I, the phrase has come up, this town feels like it has no soul. And we'll come back home and we'll be happy because we're back in our, our lively, energetic, vibrant uh, Ferndale with, with its murals and what have you. And I think that that's what I've really appreciated about Ferndale is how much 
it does seem to prioritize having I, I, you know, just a personality, a soul, uh, and you can elaborate on this too, but, you know, we have this active downtown development authority. We have the Ferndale Arts and Cultural Commission. We are, we do want art. We want people to be encountering art. So uh, did you sense that as you were coming into this? Did that uh, uh, excite you? Did you, your thoughts um, on Ferndale in general? Yeah, absolutely. And and I wish people could see me nodding so yeah. aggressively in agreement to everything you're saying. Yeah, it, it was unique also in that I knew I wanted to move back. I grew up in Warren, just a little further east from here. And um, when I moved back, I thought, OK, well, I've got all of these options to pursue. And I wasn't sure exactly where to go. And I, I had done a ton of outreach. And the the community of Ferndale was so gracious and they were so inviting and and essentially said yes yes let's do it we, we, we want, want you music. here we want art we want theater yeah we want yeah 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 yep yep and so i i can't agree more more enthusiastically i think exactly as you said there are so many entities here who are really supportive but they're also vying for it and it's so much more than just talking the talk i mean these people are out there volunteering at events they're coordinating meetups they're making sure that the people who are out there moving and shaking things are meeting the right people who are supporting that and yeah. the right people who are interested in it. And I think that's so rare. I've, I've been in a lot of small communities producing theater and I can say, um, and, and in fact, I'll, I'll throw this out there too. When the Broadway and the Burbs actors came here this summer for the big Broadway and the Burbs concert, these are three folks from New York, um, friends of mine that I had worked with before. And they were so over the moon. They said, I've never encountered a small city this enthusiastic and this supportive and this like logged on when it came to supporting live art and they thought that was so cool and i said you know i'm so grateful to hear that from an outside perspective because i feel that mm -hmm. and to know that other people experience it and that many more will as we continue to produce shows and bring people here yeah. but it really you're so right it's just the most vibrant exciting from the parents of the students in my program to the local government to people like yourself, the community organizers who are really out there on the ground. It's, it's a place where art thrives and that's unique. And, and I'm so grateful for that. Well, yeah. And then um, elaborate a little bit more and then we'll get into a little bit more with Broadway and the birds, but elaborate just a little bit more on the, on this mission uh, of, of Michigan stage and, and, you really do want to reach new audiences and you want to just get them to connect with the art and talk mm -hmm. about these opportunities for uh, for engagement, not just cultural engagement, but even civic engagement. Um, tell me about Michigan yep. Stage more. Yeah, well, I'd love to. So uh, um, I'm going to bring back something I said earlier, sure. which is that I grew up in, in a very theatrical household, but um, not, not in the traditional sense. And right. So by that, I mean, it doesn't have to just be on a stage with curtains is the thing, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah that's exactly right. And I, I think um, we see a lot more of that now. We, we've got some really, really great strides being made in the field of immersive theater. And of course, this isn't new. I mean, Maria Irene Fornes, who's a theater um, practitioner or was a theater practitioner and writer from the 70s, who created a lot of this really in, like uh, inventive and immersive work. Um but it wasn't until recently, I think, that people were more willing and interested to take risks on work like that. I think a lot of times you think theater, you think Broadway, you think 
a proscenium stage, you think an audience with a separation and a fourth wall. And I think those theater uh, opportunities are lovely and and valuable for many reasons. But um, coming back to what I said before, growing up in this family who loved theater and were very theatrical, but were not necessarily interested in seeing the sound of music, even when I starred in it, and I was a great Rolf at age 16, but I think they were a little less interested in it. And so we would often talk about reimagining stories, um, setting them in different locales. Um, and, and I think that was one of the, the, that was one of the first seeds that really took root in my imagination that said theater can be so many other things. Mm-hmm. And I was grateful as I was out professionally working in different communities to see this happen. And so when I was thinking about Michigan stage um, and how I wanted this to be different from other theaters and how I wanted it to reflect the state that I know and the community that I know. Um, and a lot of my friends who I think are very imaginative as well, and maybe not the most traditional theater fans that you've ever met. Um, I started thinking about, well, what can we do to make people understand that theater is so much more than just that exchange of being actors on stage and people in the audience? And that, I think, is breaking down barriers, getting people into the process of writing plays, in reading plays, in discussing themes from plays. And so um, COVID, unfortunately, uh, it definitely restricted or limited a lot of the programming that we were able to start with in the early stages of Michigan Stage. But um, one great benefit of that is it allowed us to look at different avenues. And so Michigan Page, which is a, a play club um, where we read, we choose a title and we read a play and then we discuss it and we do a little um, like a live reading, but nothing, you know, nothing rehearsed. We just read a little bit live and then we talk about the themes inherent to the play. And then we bridge the gap to bringing it into our current state. And that is a great example of theater in a non-traditional venue how can how can theater transcend that that stage audience um builds and so even as far as the title you know michigan stage it's a bit of a nod to my alma mater michigan state go green um but the entirety of michigan is the stage and and anything can be right all of michigan can be and we are all essentially on um one right at some point so i think that 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 was really unique and so next season which we haven't officially launched yet but we've got some really great immersive and inventive um productions including a a shakespeare adaptation that involves laser tag um we want to do this live play in a park that's completely auditory so you listen to the recorded play but as you walk the trail where the play would be set um you have different stations for different vignettes that you watch but in all the ways that i think theater can tell stories but again moving away from that traditional stage audience setup sure. so yeah that's that's um that's that's a lot a lot sure, that is a lot <laughs> i think it's it is it must feel good though considering that you had to work your way back from new york then get back here then establish the llc and all that and build 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 and then you know amidst covid too so the mm-hmm. That is already all this uphill battle to to establish momentum. But it uh, just uh, reflect with me. It must have felt so good to get to and pull off Broadway in the Burbs as just kind of this big, kind of fulfilling achievement for you first. And also, um, you know, here we are in the Burbs, 
uh, we don't get to experience all of that uh, glamour and magic that is, you know, tied into the mythos of Broadway over in New York. It's uh, it's this far away extra planet away from Ferndale, <laughs> which you were living in. So uh, it just hmm. seems so good to have brought that here to the town. Thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was unbelievable. I, I say magical. It seems like that's such a catch-all phrase, sure. and, and unfortunately, it's 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 really insufficient. I, it, it, I, I was on cloud nine that entire day, watching the community that I hadn't met yet and was starting to meet then, seeing students from our summer youth programs with their families attend, yeah. but then to really look out and see all of my friends and family along the back the back um, fence there, or a line uh, lining on the street. And then under the tents, you know, the volunteers, so many friends and family members that were there for that. It, it was just truly such a momentous occasion. And we, in um, producing that again, we're, we're talking about non-traditional theater mm -hmm. and it would have been very easy to say, let's put on a Broadway concert, unite the community um, post COVID and post lockdown. And now that the weather is, is better, let, let's find a venue for it. But that wasn't enough for us. Um, and us, I'm referring to the, the uh, downtown Ferndale, the DDA sure. who, who helped produce this with me. Um, I said, I want to do this in such a way that is, is, is very unfamiliar so we put it at the parking garage the brand new parking mm -hmm. garage in downtown ferndale and um our early inception of that program was that the performers would be live in the parking garage and cars would actually park and tailgate so they could stay in their sure. their bubbles sure. and watch safely um which i'm grateful it didn't end up that way i think we as we pushed it later into the summer felt that it was safe enough to do it outside, to host it outside masked and, and socially distanced. Um, and I think it was such a blessing in disguise because to see that crowd unite on the street was just, I mean, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it sure. now. It, it was really overwhelming in the best possible way. Oh yeah. So yeah. The, and that yeah. whole area had just been uh, revitalized and the street had just been paved and it was summertime. We were so eager to be out. We had all this pent up energy and it was just such a source yeah. of uh, connection for us. You know, uh, being on a podcast or being in an interview, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's unavoidable that we start uh, unpacking something about your personality, something about what motivates you. And I want to and I want to dig into this this selflessness or maybe this little bit of this egolessness that I'm that I'm sensing here because it, you could go into theater you could be exposed to it and you could say well I want to be the actor in the spotlight getting the audience and mm -hmm. having roses thrown at me but early on you are saying well uh, you're not thinking how can theater fulfill me you were already thinking early on why does theater fulfill others and because I've already tapped into why it fulfills me. Can I turn someone else on? Can I connect someone else to this? Can I get someone else on the road to the spotlight with the roses and the applause? Um, mm. And that's been, and that's continuing here with Michigan Stage because who knows, someone who is witnessing Broadway and the Burbs, maybe they get inspired by it too. So uh, that sense of sharing it rather than uh, uh, reaching for it and claiming it for yourself is something interesting about, about you and Michigan Stage. Oh, well, thank you. That's so sweet and so kind. I I attribute it always to my Midwestern upbringing, <laughs> which is that, and and perhaps it's it's also growing up with four siblings in a very close family, everything was shared. I mean, you know, you. We, 
<laughs> no, no, it definitely didn't. Sure. It tried. It certainly yeah. tried. Um, but I think we we had to share. You know, we we shared toys. We shared everything. We shared stories. We shared spotlight. I, you, there was never an opportunity for all five of us to be speaking at the same time. So there was a lot of listening. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, that certainly has has formed who I am as a, a young professional now. But I, I do think that it was always more exciting to me. And it's interesting to hear the word uh, egoless. Like you said, I, I think that that's such a great way to look at it. Because to me, I think the, the ego shadow is that I get such... I feel so fulfilled when I get to have conversations with people about theater, mm -hmm. specifically those who have not had have have not had conversations about theater like that before, and so it is so fulfilling to me. So it almost it doesn't feel selfless. It feels very self satisfying to be able to produce theater now and share it with people and have those. But I see the residual benefit to that is you know, civic dialogue, social dialogue and outlets where community members are brought together to discuss things that they potentially wouldn't or simply undergoing a shift, an emotional shift as you're watching something as a unit, even as sure. a full group out there, the audience can feel that those mirror neurons. When we react, somebody next to us understands we're reacting that way and shares in that reaction. And so now now we're understanding how powerful theater is as a tool to unite us and galvanize. And I think um, when you're in the audience and you're all crying or you're all laughing, mm -hmm. it's undeniable that something made you feel that way. And then you start to imagine how that transcends or transfers to other pockets of life. Mm -hmm. So it, it is in a way very self-satisfying to be able to put forth theater or art and any programming that allows that to happen. Um, but it is in such a different way. And I, perhaps that's why I never felt as comfortable on the stage. Yeah. Um, which isn't to say I didn't like it. I mean, I'm a ham. I loved it when I was a kid, but I think I, I just quickly outgrew that and saw that there was an ability on this side that was more untapped or there were, there were, uh, resources untapped that, oh, yeah. that I could get into from the producing side. Oh yeah. There's something else too. And, Maybe we can weave our way into, you know, another bit of recent news. You were uh, a, a co-writer and director for Drag Extravaganza. I want, I want to talk mm -hmm. about this because uh, we're talking about the community experiencing art. There's also something about going to any, whether you're going to an art gallery to see art on the walls or if you're going to see theater or, you know, a band at a venue for music. When you also know that this amazing artistic theatrical performer visual artist is a, a local is your neighbor lives here in the city uh and we got to see that with drag extravaganza too where it's just like oh well these are all great talents uh it, it kind of even if i'm in the audience and i'm like well i can't be an actor but they're amazing it it uh it expands my pride for the area which goes back mm -hmm. to michigan stage <laughs> I wanted you to also talk about your writer and director side too. So, cause you do that yeah, too. No, I, I appreciate it. That's, it's such a good point. And I think in my curtain speech for that production, which we, uh, we just wrapped up at ant hall, this, this was an original play that we are musical that I conceived with one of my friends who is a drag artist. And, um, 
it, uh, I'll only share a very quick anecdote because it makes sure. me laugh. One of the theaters where he and I both worked, their um, first production ever, 25 years ago, was a production of Lady Day at Emerson Barn Grill, which is a, a Billie Holiday um, bio, biopic uh, musical. Mm-hmm. And it's wonderful. But when you look at first plays, low overhead means one performer and a small band in a non-traditional venue, usually. So when I was thinking about that equation, one performer, non-traditional venue, I was thinking, what what would be a great show to begin Michigan Stage's tenure and, and sure. foundation with? Sure. And so somehow in the the kooky way that the world works that was working with this drag artist to write looking back through stained glass which was this original play um that really it it it, uh tells the story of his origin and his life growing up in the south um but we spun it to become a graphic novel through a graphic novel frame and made it a bit more um I think just accessible, a bit more universal. Some of the themes that were really personal to him, we were able to scaffold in a way that the audience felt like they could buy into it and not only empathize, but also say, oh yeah, I've, I've been there. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, right, a long story short, in, in producing that and in writing that, um, one of the things that was most important was inviting some of these more local stars into the process. And that was so interesting because it shifted a lot of what we had initially thought for the play. Mm -hmm. So when we started those rehearsals, we were probably only about 95% there, like finished writing it. And in bringing in some of the local performers, we shifted this joke, shifted that joke, and we added things. And in fact, we partnered with Planet Ant and we performed at Ant Hall and we set the play fictionally on Planet Ant's in Ant Hall, which was this dystopian futuristic um, club that they were trying to shut down and turn into a mega church. So coming back to that idea of pride, but being adaptable as a writer. Um, and, and in fact, in our writers group, which I know we'll talk about a sure. little uh, in a little bit, um, you know, you, you've got to be able to kill your darlings. Mm-hmm. And I think when you hold on too closely to some of those early ideas, it potentially sells you short for, for, future magic and so we had to kill a few darlings to say nope we've got to fit this into the the reality of where it is now yeah and that um was so fulfilling but yeah the the process of i think writing directing is is just interesting no matter what and all of our youth programs essentially are devised they're they're written by the students Mm -hmm. but we all act as sort of puppet masters guiding that conversation directing it so when I transfer those skills to working with professionals, it's there's only so much you can leave behind, and a lot of it inherently ends up in the room. So as I'm devising, as I'm writing, as I'm directing, it's all a collaborative process. Oh, I, I just it has to be that way. That was the word I was going to use: yeah. is collaborative. And you know, we're in this writers group here in the library, and we're meeting virtually. But uh, I, w- I was going to ask you to to talk about. Just talk about that as a note of appreciation for the benefits of collaboration because we share our our pieces with each other and we you know the the writing creative process is so solitary yeah. and it takes that that bit of gumption to be vulnerable and open it up to someone else and that brings in that killing your darlings uh thing that's where mm-hmm. we have to maybe delete a sentence or an idea or a paragraph that we thought was chef's kiss brilliant but uh, we give each other that excellent feedback through through a writers group, and I think that that comes into that comes into play here. That comes into building mm-hmm. drag extravaganza is 
not just saying in a Orson Wellesian, Kubrickian way, my way or the highway, my vision. Um, mm -hmm. But since you've been writing for so long too, uh, have you come to appreciate that that other aspect? Not director, because that inevitably, I think that there's no way that can't be collaborative. There's just too too many cats to herd, and mm -hmm. and, and it's, it could be so on the fly. But uh, mm -hmm. but writing can be collaborative too, don't you think? You can get that input, right? And you have to be open to it. That's my big point here, is being open yes. to it. Yes. No. You're. That's that's spot on. I mean, you you have to. I, now I can't think of who said it. Well, many people have, so I, I won't worry at, at mashing up somebody else's quote, but separate the art from the artist. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's so important or the, the, the outcome from the process. Sure. And so when, when I write, it's very personal. And when I write, it's very vulnerable. So I, um, my, my debut novel, my the manuscript that, um, that I had finished, I wrote in about a month on a retreat, mm -hmm. um, really in about three weeks. And I, I sort of finished it thinking this is done. I'm so satisfied. I'm so, I, I feel so proud that I was able to do that. And then I spent um, subsequently 15 months editing and redrafting that exact same work. Mm -hmm. And that was because I was brave enough. And I really do think it, it is very vulnerable and you have to be able to separate the art from the artist and say, if I want this art to live on outside of me, the artist, I have to be willing to share it with others. And yeah. so being able to bring it to the group or bring it to another person and get other eyes on it, it really did start opening up that collaborative process or the, the collaborative side of the process. And I think when I initially drafted it, the market reader was, mm -hmm. was really myself. Mm -hmm. I think that's the only way I could um, write the first novel. I think it had to be that way. Right. And now I have been able to morph it and guide it into something that I, I believe is more accessible to a wider audience. And I think that it's through outlets like the, the writer's group at the library that you're able to really see that if oh, yeah. it's not working. And in fact, oh, um, I've got a great story from the group. Ted said something about one of the short stories I had I had submitted, and I, it was written during COVID, and it was about a young boy, and he was working on Zoom screens and how he started looking at our intermittent screens um, and, uh, the, like, the screens we put up between one another, but but mm -hmm. sort of uh, telling the whole story through the various screens in, in his life. Um, and because he was a teenager, when I, I, I wrote it that way, he... Um, had this uh, device or I used this device where he was constantly defining words, almost like SAT prep. That's what inspired me that he was constantly like, oh, that means this. And I connected to school in this way. And Ted, um, who's in our writer's group said, I don't understand that. And it was so fascinating because I thought, how can you not? It's so obvious to me. But of course it is because I'm much closer to that person than Ted was. Mm -hmm. And now the collaboration allowed me to open up and say, oh, if you just add a little bit or shift a little bit, yep that is a piece that I think can be so much more accessible and fulfilling to other readers. Absolutely. And so, yeah, writing has to be collaborative. Absolutely. That's why they call it constructive feedback. Uh, which yeah. you don't really, really you don't, I don't think you start to learn that until you're much older because when you're, I, I, you know, I remember getting constructive feedback on essays or poems I wrote in middle school and you better believe I was very, very guarded about that. <laughs> but you realize what it means is that the person who's giving you that feedback uh, it's in the it's implied constructive. They are here to help you continue building 
you're building. Uh, they're not trying mm -hmm. to take the pillars out from under it. They're like, well, maybe the roof just needs to look like that, or maybe that corner could be, you know, you know, maybe some yep. rough edges there. They they're not taking down your building. They're just uh, right. reinforcing it. So that's that's the that's that's the thing. So I guess I think the anything else I wanted to 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 lead into is just your future hopes, future plans um, in the year ahead, tentative uh, tentative or not. You know what's what's yeah, happening. Yeah. What do you want to do next? So with Michigan Stage, we are currently wrapping up our fall play labs, um, and play labs are are this. It's this really really fun hybrid program that takes. It borrows elements of what I gained from um, being a young athlete mm -hmm. with young theater and then also with writing. And so the students, we, we do a lot of team building in the early stages, which to them looks like theater games. But sure. to us, it's about building trust and setting up those relationships so that when we get to the collaborative writing stage and we're feeling vulnerable as we're putting our ideas forth, it's a little easier to handle somebody saying, I don't think it works for the play and, and you're not taking it as personal then. So we borrow a lot in the early stages from that team building and, and the, the athletics. And then we add in, we bring in this, this writing component, um, which the students create their own play in each semester. And so our fall play labs are wrapping up um, November 17th which will be really exciting. The students have uh, devised this this wacky play that's set in a hotel. Actually, I can't give away too many okay, secrets. Sure, sure. They'll, they'll be very mad if I do, but it's set in a hotel. And suffice it to say, there's some murder and some mystery and some paranormal beings who haunt Great. the hotel and cause a ton, ton of hijinks. Um, and so that will wrap up in on November 17th. And it was all inspired by this uh, great muralist, Daniel Cascardo, who created this one-of-a-kind uh, seven-foot-by-seven-foot mural for us that is like the um, sort of the jumping-off point into the story. Beautiful. Um, and so we'll have that recreated in the spring. And um, we actually just submitted a big grant, so fingers crossed that we're approved for our grant. But the spring version of this program would unite several different community entities, um, and we're focusing on our imaginary futures. So we're looking at it as a springboard to the future. And however we, however we define or interpret that as a group, that will shape and guide the story in the spring. And um, in addition to that, we're looking back at our inheritance. And so we're going to be working with a great cultural group called the Inheritance Project based out of New York. Um, and they're potentially going to help guide us in this process so the students are not only honoring the inheritance of the past and what they bring to the table but looking forward together as a group and so um that will be coming in the spring for our youth and community programs and then pending covid safety um we're looking at having our first production uh probably a little later in the spring probably march april is the target date that we're eyeing for but as we learned from our fall show people are still a little reluctant to get back into the theater completely understandable but um we're just uh moving cautiously forward but we will have between january and the next january so in 2022 four main stage productions professional productions we'll have three seasons of youth programs in the spring in the summer and in the fall we will um be reinstating broadway in the burbs which will become an annual 
annual Ferndale event, which is really exciting. And then I'm sure a ton of other little little happenings sprinkled in throughout. Right. But we've got some really exciting shows on the roster. And assuming all goes according to plan, we've got a Tony Award-winning musical based on an Oscar-winning film that we're really excited about bringing to Ferndale, um, exploring folk music and relationships and love. And then um, I mentioned a little bit, but we've got this Shakespeare adaptation that we're working on right now. And then we have um, two contemporary plays that will be, I think, hopefully great tools to instigate some wonderful dialogue in the community. That is um, but yeah. excellent. Excellent. And I'll Thank just you. end uh, that it's, it's been so good to have you on the podcast. And you are um, you're doing uh, pretty darn fine for uh, having to start <laughs> amidst, again, uh, what I said, that sort of... Uh, hindrance to momentum that was a pandemic so you it's good to see everything coming together so we're looking forward to the year ahead thanks for being on the podcast with us tim it's a pleasure to talk to you thank you thank you so much for having me jeff it really was a pleasure and that was our chat with tim pare the artistic director founder of michigan stage and uh, really appreciate the the shout out there to our writers group that we host here through the ferndale library that's how i really came to know tim and it's been well it really was a pleasure to talk with him but i i get to see him every month in the writers group and it's always inspiring to to interact with him but i think it's also going to be inspiring for anyone to encounter productions of michigan stage in the future going forward so we're really glad he's here in town doing everything that he's doing and we're gonna have again more info in the show notes of course we thank you so much for listening to our chat with tim this is another episode again of a little too quiet this is the ferndale library podcast and it's brought to you by the friends of the ferndale library the music that you hear coming in and out of each episode is by a local musician known as Zunset. If you want to support this podcast, you can go to ferndalefriends.org. You could like or leave a review, give us five stars maybe, or share it with a friend. You could also share this episode to social media. We always appreciate everyone helping us find more listeners. We always appreciate you for listening. Tune in next week for more.